It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with me, your host, Stephen Wallace. After a batch of Ashes podcasts, we are back to horse racing and back to Birdsville the iconic Outback Racecourse in Queensland, Australia, which is due to hold its annual two-day meeting on the 1st and 2nd of September. For those listeners who can remember, I previously featured three episodes about Birdsville ahead of last year's two-day meeting. Go back to episodes 148 to 150 to hear my podcasts about the Birdsville Cup, the journey to the Outback, and jockey John Keating's quest to win the Cup. Back to today's show. You will shortly hear from Birdsville Races Vice President Gary Brook, a guest on episode 148, who in two separate interviews talks about the challenges of 2022 before looking forward to this year's meeting. Thanks for joining us again, Gary. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Gary, you had a very hectic few days before the race. Can you sort of explain some of the the chain of events before Birdsville races got underway. Yeah, look, really, uh, we had a great event, but uh, it certainly wasn't without its challenges. Um, the Mother Nature really did throw throw everything at us, and and that was probably the biggest, I guess, challenge that we faced in, in terms of the event. Is we, uh, I think, Australia's been having these really unforeseen and. Uh, weather events and we had a situation where you know a couple of days out from our event every road into Birdsville was closed so you actually couldn't access the town um, so the local uh, councils and road workers were working overtime to try and make the the road suitable and and then they did open up which was great so we had thousands of people rolling into town and then as luck would have it um, really the the day before the event, the rain started in Birdsville, um, which we hadn't had the rain there, and and it just kept coming really um, for a good twenty four hours. So um, we had perfect weather in the lead up, and then the rain came, and it turned into a bit of a mud bath. Uh, 
for a couple of days there. Um, it actually forced us to postpone the first day of the races and and then forced uh, us really to work overtime on the track with graders and loaders and vehicles to essentially take the mud off the top of the track. It's, we we do race on a natural clay pan and they work for hours and hours on end in front of cheering crowds to to get up. And it was really touch and go for a while there, whether or not we'd actually race, but uh, they worked tirelessly and we got to race and we had our full program in the end over two days, just not the same two days that we thought they'd be. It must be harder for you logistically being racing in the outback. It is. You, you know, you, you've only, you, you can't really call in additional resources or help. You can only work with the equipment you've got um, and the people you've got, but um, they're people that are very experienced in, in working in that region. So, um, you know, we're fortunate to have a couple of graders really on site and, and loaders and, and people that knew what they were doing. And we essentially had five to six personnel with various machineries and vehicles just doing laps of the track and clearing mud and, and fixing it up to make a, a safe racing surface. And they work for hours and hours and hours. And I think if people didn't had not been to the event before, you know, we would have been odds at 100 to 1 if they were taking bets at the start of the day as to whether you'd race. And sure enough, uh, the people that know what they're doing uh, um, did what they had to do and come 3 o'clock in the afternoon or just after 3 o'clock, we were racing and we had hoped to race at 12.30, but uh, a couple of extra hours for, of drying and, and track work and we got going. And these graders are, are big, big pieces of machinery. Yeah, they are. Um, they they essentially had to take probably the top uh, three three to four inches of, of, of dirt off the track. So we're talking a track of a... 2,200 metre circumference and anywhere from, you know, 10 to, to 20 metres wide, they literally had to clear, take all of that off and move it to the side. And they effectively dug down to dry dirt. They just kept moving the mud, just pushing the mud, pushing the mud until they got to dry dirt and then pushed it all, all off to the side. So we actually couldn't couldn't start some races from the chutes. We start our 800 metre and our 1,000 metre race from a chute, but we couldn't do that. They simply didn't have time to get the shoots ready, so they all started from the course proper. So a little bit of a tighter, tighter turn to the or tighter jump to the first turn for those races. But you know everything ran ran well, and the horses and jockeys got around safely, which is the most important thing. And once you got started, did the delay for the crowd almost add to the anticipation of the of the racing? It really did. Um, you know, it was a much longer race day than I think they'd, they'd hoped. We certainly finished later and the sun was setting as, as the last people were leaving the course. Um, but I think there was a, you know, overwhelming sense of appreciation to, to realise that the effort that I think the local community went into to have racing is something that, you know, I don't think anybody in Australia would have seen in their lifetime and it wouldn't happen at any other race course in the country. Most people would have given up, um, but we, you know, we couldn't give up for, for two reasons. One, we didn't want to disappoint the crowd or the the participants, but two, you know, it, it probably would have been a catastrophic event financially if we didn't actually race. Because people have made such an effort to get to Birdsville. It really is an event. As you say, the journey is part of it. Yeah, that's right. Look, they've made an event to, to get there and and. 
you know, they had some really trying circumstances. Those people that were camped, camped really on, on dirt, you know, they were living in mud for a few days. It was actually really cold weather too, so it was quite cold. Um, lots of things just just didn't go to plan, even the, the horses and the trainers. And um, we had some, and you'll, you'll probably see some photos that we have of horses literally walking from their campsites and their stables to the track through, you know, three, four, six inches of water. Um, they needed to do that because they they couldn't actually get their horses with vehicles to the track in some in, from some areas. So they're literally walking horses through water um, in order to get to the track to race. So you know everyone has a bit of a story to tell, and everyone went through some some big challenges to to make it work. And what was the size of the crowd? Uh, look, it was in that range of uh, sort of three and a half to to 4,000 people um, on our cup day, um, lower than obviously in a, in a normal year. I think the road closures impacted that a little bit, um, although everyone could get there if they wanted to. Some people were not prepared to take the risk or the timing wasn't going to work for them. So we were probably 20, 10 to 20% down on what we thought we'd get um, come race day. But, you know, all in all, we thought it was a great crowd, um, all things considered. But uh, legendary Australian test cricketer, bowler, Glenn McGrath was there. He was, yeah. He has a, a group that fly in and they, they had a great time. Um, he runs essentially a, a fly-in fly. It's almost a pub crawl, which I'm sure many of you, your listeners would love to get on. Um, but, yeah, look, he's there and he he is a comes from a regional background himself, um, loves travelling to Outback Australia, um, and it's great to have, you know, people like Glenn that, that are willing to support events like ours. Um, what are your thoughts on the racing? There were slightly smaller fields. Yeah, look, it, it certainly was probably our smallest racing field that we've had in, in modern history. And, and that's, you know, that wasn't ideal. Um, but, you know, you can only... Um, race really who, who you're up against. So it, it did mean we almost had a state of origin situation where we had, you know, trainers from Darwin, South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland. So we had four states contesting and um, it was almost like a state of origin for every race. And it turned out that the Darwin Darwin won the, um, won the event and Philip Cole and his team. And, you know, he travelled, I think it's about two and a half, almost two and a half thousand kilometers each way um just to get to the event so for him to to be the leading trainer and pull it off it was fantastic we certainly didn't have big fields and we'd love to have more in future but um the rain again we had some trainers that were that had accepted their horses but with road closures and uncertainty about when the rain would stop they decided to turn around midway to, to birdsville so you know you can't control the weather um, but uh, for those that made it, it was very lucrative and very rewarding. And we'll be hearing from John Keating later. In John again, just failing to win the Birdsville Cup, he came second again. I know he was. Uh, look, he had a. I think he might have been pulling his hair out by the end of the event. Um, I think if it, he he rode in almost every race, and and I think he he must have run. Uh, eight to ten seconds of the thirteen races that were there, so uh, you know, probably quite a frustrating carnival for him. Um, but you know, uh, he's one of those people. This is this is on his bucket list, and uh, 
he's he's run second a couple of times and uh, I've got a feeling that John will continue to return until he holds that cup aloft. Well, let's hope so. Uh, after two Birdsville race meetings in 2022, when do plans begin for 2023? Yeah, look, it, that, they've begun. Um, I don't think planning for, for Birdsville ever stops, really. It's, it's just one of those events you roll from one cycle into the next um you look at the lessons that you learn you you pray that you don't have weather like we had this year again um but uh, yeah look we're we're still uh got things in motion our event we know it's the first saturday in september so first and second of september 2023 we've already got people coming to us looking for for tickets and and we'll make be making an announcements about when tickets go on sale in the in the coming weeks um, but we've got great demand. I mean, the, the the media coverage that we had was fantastic. And for those people that are interested, it's probably wet their appetite and they're starting to plan their trip because it is something you need to plan a long time in advance. You can't decide one day to go to Birdsville the next. Um, you do need to take the time to work out um, how you're going to get there and where you're going to stay and so forth. So plans are in motion and very confident that it'll be a, a bigger and better event next year. Well, let's hope this podcast and the other three I've done will entice a, a few more people from the UK to come across to Birdsville. Absolutely. I mean, for those travelling um, to Australia, I mean, it's a, it's a perfect time really to come. The weather is, is brilliant, um, you know, nice warm, starting to, to warm up. Um, and a great, great way. I mean, I think horse racing and, and sport in general is a great way to see any country that you go to. And Australia is no exception. I mean, lots of Australians love going over to the Ashes and so forth in England. And, um, you know, we'd love to see the English coming over to, to come to the Birdsville Cup, the Spring Carnival and so forth. And that's really what we want to see next year. Well, thanks again, Gary, for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. And if you can get keep the show on the road in 2022, you can do it any year. That's right. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I think we all got a few more greys and I probably lost a little bit more hair over the, the week of the races. But uh, look, it's always a rewarding experience to pull it off and we're very uh, grateful for those that, that make the journey to come and support it. Welcome back, Gary, to the paddock and the pavilion. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, we've just heard the challenging story of Birdsville 2022 it's 10 days as we record before the start of the 2023 two-day meeting. How are preparations going? Good. Yeah, much better that you look at the forward weather and it's not raining um, as it was in 2022. And that that uh, that episode, I think, took a few years off our lives as, as organisers and, and stress and a few more grey hairs and a few less hair on top. Um, but look, things are coming together really well for this year. We've, we've got really good interest from racing participants. We've got horses and trainers and jockeys coming from as far away as Victoria, from Darwin, from Adelaide, from the Sunshine Coast. And, and for those on the listeners, what we're talking about, Darwin's about a two and a half thousand kilometre journey. Adelaide's about a 1200 kilometre journey. Um, jockeys coming from Victoria, travelling 14, 15, 1600 kilometres. So the fact that we've got great racing participants will make for great racing and, and, and we'll put on a good show. That must say a lot about Birdsville as a race meeting. It is. Look, it's a, it's it's almost strange. It's just it's got this aura about it, this draw card that, um, you know, people are desperate to 
to attend, to, to participate. There's something so unique. You know, there's no other race meeting that you'll travel so far for. Um, and it is a destination in its own right. It's a challenge to get there. The journey's half the fun and, and half the challenges um, some of the times, but it really is unique and it's sought after and, you know, it's been going for, well, this is 141 years since the first meeting was was run. So it's got a great history and it continues to to pull people from across the country. You mentioned about the journey. Um, I've spoken to several spectators who are on the way to birdsville 2023 and andrew redston reggie potts bob potts who who's 93 can you tell us a bit more about the uh, birdsville roadies yeah the birdsville races roadies is a concept that we came up a few years ago really to connect people because because you are traveling from so far and across the country it's it's almost like the world's biggest car rally um, you know, there's thousands of vehicles all converging and it, it's uh, it's a car rally. It's like the, the great migration in Africa of the wildebeest all heading in one direction at one time of year. And that's what the Birdsville Races is like. So you've got these cars, travellers, bikes, buses, aeroplanes, all converging on the centre of Australia. So um, we came up with the concept of a roadie. So people, you know, it's free membership. You can, once you buy a ticket, you get yourself a door sticker. You can connect with other people en route. You can, should you wish to, um, you can say, look, who else is travelling from Melbourne? Do you want to travel together? Do you want to meet up en route? So on and so forth. So it's a really great way to connect, just to have a little bit of fun. I mean, it's great when you're pulling up to get fuel and you've still got 500 kilometres to go and you look beside you and someone else is sitting there with a sticker with their team name for, for the Birdsville Races roadies. And you can start to build build a rapport, build some camaraderie and, and make some friends and have a, a more fun journey and a great time when you get to Birdsville. That's a great concept. It must help people when, they, when they're travelling. Yeah, well, I think it does. It, it, for those that are travelling alone, it does give you the opportunity to connect, um, to find common ground with people. Um, also get a few benefits you know a few discounts cheaper places to stay on route and so forth but it's really just about building a community I mean that's what people want connections um, they want to feel part of something and that's I think what the roadies gives them or what the races gives them really it's, it's one of the places where everyone is equal everyone's camping um, there's no five-star accommodation in Birdsville to and and so forth so it really is a great leveler and a great way for people to connect and to see a 93-year-old in Bob Potts to be coming across the outback to, to go racing. Yeah, look, it's, again, you'll get people that have wanted all their life to come to the Birdsville races um, and are finally doing it. Then you'll get the, the people, other groups that are, you know, 80, 90 years old that come every year. Um, it's just part of what they do. And, look, you mentioned at the start that we're 10 days out. There's already been people camped on the river of birds for waiting for the races with their roadies stickers on the side of the vehicle for, for a couple of weeks already. So people are getting there, they're getting the, the most sought after the perfect camp spot. Um, and they're just settling in for the, for the build up and the excitement of the event. I've even got Andrew, who's going to be on a future podcast. He's put the uh, paddock and the pavilion logo on the back of his truck. <laughs> well, there you go. He's starting to build a cult following in Australia. Uh, are you hoping to get more, crowds this year because i mean the the roads closures must have affected it last year yeah look really challenging last year with the closures um roads were closed in all directions a couple of days out from the event 
So that that put the not surprisingly put the fear in a lot of people. Some people didn't continue to make the journey or didn't have vehicles that would make the journey. Um, so that certainly dropped the crowd a little bit. Um, we hope that that'll return return this year. There's no question. There's some there's some challenges with cost of living pressures uh, across Australia and the globe. But um, look, if the horse and participant numbers are anything to go by, you know we're confident we'll get a a good crowd and whatever it lands with, it'll be plenty for a small community like Birdsville to deal with. One person who is again going to to Birdsville races on the first and second of September is jockey John Keating, who still wants to win the Birdsville Cup. Yeah, look, he's a great great story, John. He's been coming up. Look, I don't even know how how long. Uh, at least fifty, I would say, ten to fifteen years. You know, comes up on his on his own. Um, he was desperately unlucky last year. I think he must have ridden um, about eight or nine seconds out of the the 13 race card um look you know does a great job to get up there and and supports the whole carnival um and that's what it does it pulls people in i mean this year we've got a first timer we've got someone with roots from from ireland emily finnegan a jockey from adelaide who's who's coming up to to ride a horse in the cup and get a couple of rides and you know great racing connection her father was a jockey in ireland and her grandfather cathal finnegan actually won the Irish Grand National in, in 1970. So, you know, it's great to have the connection of people with long histories in, in racing, you know, still keen to explore something new. And and for, an, for a young Irish girl, tackling the, the desert is a big challenge and something that she's looking forward to. Bigger field sizes in 2023? Yeah, look, look, very, um, we're, look we're expecting very strong fields. Um, it's a couple of days out from nominations, closing as I, I talk to you um but you know significant horse numbers um expecting really good good fields in in all races at this stage and is the event getting more tv coverage across australia as well it is yeah look it's um now that it's it's broadcast on the sky channel um so it can be watched worldwide um you know if you've got access to the australian racing you'll be able to see the birds will races so that's really great for for the exposure it's great for for wagering and and great for the participants who who some of them particularly the country trainers and jockeys probably don't don't get on the tv racing the sky channel very often so it's really great and just great for the awareness it's a, a beautiful part of the world and we're very privileged to be able to showcase it um on sky channel and other things during the carnival because a lot of the jockeys are doing batuta before and then baduri afterwards yeah, that's right. There's a there's a core group. I mean, there will still be ones that just come for Birdsville, um, but there is a core group of trainers and jockeys. Uh, the first trainers, I think, will arrive in Birdsville a few days before Batuta. They make Birdsville their base, do the Batuta Carnival, uh, Birdsville in Baduri. Um, look, it, it's again, the, the Simpson Desert Racing Carnival has been going for a long time. Batuta and Baduri are much smaller than Birdsville, um, but they are really you know, I guess the more traditional country race meetings of, of a few hundred people, um, still great, great places to go to. They're very different to Birdsville, but they've got their unique charm and, and certainly, you know, we'd encourage people to go to all of them if they're coming out this way. But generally, from what you're saying, more and more jockeys and trainers are bringing horses from all over Australia. Yeah, that's right. Um, look, the, I think the average distance travelled for a trainer to Birdsville is in the vicinity of about a thousand kilometres. Um, but the fact that you know a small small town in outback Australia of a hundred people um, can attract horses from 
Darwin, from Adelaide, from the coast, from New South Wales. Um, so we've got trainers and jockeys being represented from five states and or territories, um, which is, you know, a great testament, I guess, to the draw card of, of Birdsville and, and also just the racing industry. You know, it is a great industry where people really do get behind these, these smaller carnivals as well. Well, let's hope you don't need those graders this this year and you have a more relaxing uh, time when you arrive in Birdsville. I don't know when you're actually getting there yourself. Yeah, look, I'll be getting there in the next few days. The, the graders, the, the ironic thing, we spent so much time making the, the track raceable last year and the last few weeks they've been spending their time repairing and putting back all the dirt that they took off last year that was mud. Um, they've been putting that back on the surface to make it safe and good for this year. So it's a, an interesting circle of work there, but uh, looking forward to it for sure. Well, the very best of luck to you and your team. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a fantastic atmosphere at Birdsville Races on Friday the 1st of September and Saturday the 2nd of September for the Birdsville Cup. Great. Thank you very much, Stephen. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.